Welcome to Humane Tech, Episode 7. This is Jeffrey Kay, recording from the beautiful and thankfully somewhat wet Pacific Northwest. This episode is a little bit late. Um, when I started to record it last week, I realized that talking about backups in a 20-minute podcast is going to be a little bit more challenging than I originally thought. This is a really important topic. It's cybersecurity essential number three, and it's a little more challenging than just making sure your passwords and two-factor authentication are working. Yes, it takes time and energy to get those things up and running, but backups really require a little bit more thought. So we're late, but we're here. So first I've got a story about passwords. Something odd happened just in the last couple days. I had a Gmail account that I used for many, many years. I won't ever be able to get rid of it because it was connected to dozens of websites and everyone in my life who had my email address had that email address for me. I still get a lot of messages in that account. Most are spam, but some are from people who still have the old account in their contacts and for whatever reason, and for whatever reason, won't use my current address. I also get email for people who think that the address is theirs. There's some guy in New York with my name who regularly gets business messages sent to my address. I stopped calling him about these seemingly important messages because he refused to do anything about it. Anyway, I received a notification that that Gmail address and some password were included in a website's data breach. Also interesting, I didn't remember ever creating an account at that site, and the site is liveauctioneers.com. So why am I getting a notification that my account is included in their breach? Honestly, I didn't know. I looked at my password managers and couldn't find a username or password. I looked through my old email and didn't see any notification of creating an account or changing a password or participating in any sort of auction. I just wasn't sure what to do. Well, I went to the website and I clicked on the forgot my password link and created a new password. Then I deleted the account after looking for quite some time for anything that could lead me back to the person who created the account. However, there was no name, phone number, or any other information. There was no account history. It looked like somebody had tried to create the account but maybe never finished? Possibly because they didn't have access to the email account that they used to set up the website account. Very strange. Anyway, I did delete the account. I've kept a record of the site and the user and password that I've now created so that if this does happen again, I can say, okay, well, I finished creating the account and then deleted it. Um, but why do we care about these kinds of issues? Well, they are attached to our because they are attached to our identity. If somebody had finished setting up the account somehow and had reneged on a purchase or maybe a sale at the site, I don't really know how the whole thing works, that fraud could be possibly pinned on me because it would come back to my email address and there's you know, proof of me using it at various IP addresses that I've been associated with over the years. The best thing for me to do was to get control over that account and then get rid of it. Again, because it had no account history, there was, there was no forensic methodology I could go through to find anything else out about the account. So 
get rid of it. If you've been listening to my podcast over the past few episodes, you've heard, no doubt, a lot about passwords and multi-factor authentication. These are the foundation to our best security habits. And whether you've already started using a password manager, please say you have, and a multi-factor authentication app, or still aren't sure about how best to proceed, I'm now offering an online course to walk you through everything you need. Personal Cybersecurity Foundations is much more than we can go on about in a 20-minute podcast. I will have live Zoom sessions and a lot of pre-recorded information, documents to download. The live sessions will be recorded and posted so that you can watch and re-watch at your leisure. You'll learn how to check your online risks, see how criminals use your information for evil, walk through the daily operation of password managers, how to choose a password manager, how to install and set up the password manager, how to uh, how I use multi-factor authentication on a daily basis, walk through the installation and setup of multi-factor authentication apps, and all of this for just $56. And that's a huge discount because, you know, this year has already been so much. So this is partially a gift um, I can't give it away for free because it's a lot of resources and time, and I think it's got some really great value for you. But again, 2020 has been a big year, and also October 2020 is National Cybersecurity Awareness Month. So take the class and be more aware. On to backups. And today I've got actually another story. I think this helps illuminate the importance of backups and some other processes. We are going to talk about more of the step-by-step and how to start backups, but I think this is a interesting story. A long time ago, I used to help a small business that had purchased tens of thousands of dollars of new servers and other computer equipment. I was working with a team that was, that was responsible for making sure that everything worked properly, and this included the backups. We set up the new systems and installed backup software. That software saved a copy of everything that was new or changed every 15 minutes. The company could make a mistake and we could put everything back the way it was 15 minutes ago, two hours ago, or even a few months ago, assuming everything worked properly. My colleague who did the server installations forgot to update something very important, something a lot of people forget to update on a new computer, the BIOS and firmware. These updates help the hardware, not the software, and they're often forgotten or ignored because they're hard to do on servers. They usually have to be installed in the dead of the night when no one is using the servers. And at that time, remote work was much more of a challenge as well. We had to go on site to do this thing in case anything went badly. It's not like today where I could literally do it from a thousand miles away and still be able to get things done if things went south. However, doing these installations as the new computers first come out of the box from the manufacturer is actually really easy. You plug everything in, get internet access, and install the updates. That just didn't get done this time. Months later, the computer manufacturer notified us that there were several critical updates required for the servers. They were security and performance updates, and again, had to be done in the late night. And I was available, so I did the installation and everything seemed to go smoothly until a week later. The computers started rebooting themselves every day with no notice. We weren't sure what was happening, 
But the reboot started happening more and more often. A couple months later, the servers would reboot every hour or so. People would be doing work and then bam, nothing. They couldn't work for another 10 to 15 minutes while everything rebooted. To make things worse, this company had purchased the new computers because they were growing so fast and already couldn't keep up with the amount of work they had. Now they could barely work for 30 to 40 minutes at a time when they needed 10 to 12 hours of uninterrupted work every day. It took quite a bit of work, but we did get the computer manufacturer to confirm that the new updates were meant to fix a really bad problem with the hard drives on the server. What they didn't know before, though, was that the updates shouldn't be installed on computers that hadn't at least had some update after they'd come out of the box. These servers hadn't. The new updates caused an even bigger problem. The servers started saving bad information on the disks. People would do their work, and they would save it to the server. The server would write the new files, but they were bad. They were corrupt. They couldn't be opened again. But not everything was affected. Some files would be fine. There was no way to know if they were bad until you tried to open the files again. On top of that, the system that was meant to keep everything okay was foiled. Every 15 minutes, the backup system would make a backup copy of every file. Good files and bad files. There was no way to get the good information back because we were backing up the bad. We didn't have a process for testing the backups, so we had no idea how bad the backups were. We had to start over from scratch. We cleaned everything off of the servers, updated everything properly, reinstalled Windows, and restored everything that we could from the backups. It took over 40 hours to get everything working again. And in the end, the backups still saved a lot of headaches because, again, they did have all that good information from before the problem, and quite a few of the files were still good. All of the bad files, however, had to be recreated by hand, and that company didn't recover for another year or two. This story illuminates one thing about backups that we don't often hear. If you back up bad information, what are you going to get back when you try to restore? You're going to get back bad information. It's essential that we not only back up our important information, but we also test those backups and make sure that we're getting good information back. And really, it's not that hard. You do your backups and you spot check your most important things. If photos and music are really important to you, restore some of those photos back to your hard drive and see if you can open them. If those baby pictures are still good, your backups are probably still good. We might not be able to test everything, but we do our best. So here's Backups 101. We all have some information that's important to us. That information should be backed up. On the surface, backups are pretty easy. Take what's important and make a copy of that important thing. If we did just that much, we'd be in pretty good shape. In reality, though, there's more to worry about. The real process looks a little like this. Back up what's necessary, what's important, and also those things that are required to keep us doing what we want and need to be doing. If you don't have a full backup of your operating system, for instance, how are you going to restore your operating system when your hard drive dies? Okay, that's just an example, and we'll go deeper in that later. In doing the right things, we follow the 3-2-1 rule. 
we make sure that we have at least three copies of all of those things we need to back up. We store the backups using two different methods, maybe one to a hard drive, maybe one to the cloud or online. And then we store the backups in a way so that one copy is located a long way away from us. If our house burns down or we have to evacuate, how do we get the data back if the data backup is with the thing that was destroyed? Well, I'm going to cover this 3-2-1 rule in much more depth later. Let's just cover how to start. What do you have to back up? And also, this is your homework <laughs> until next episode. What do you have to back up? Make a list. In fact, I think you should probably go outside onto your porch, into the yard, maybe into your car, and don't take a computer or your phone. Just sit out there without any technology and think about what would you care about restoring if you didn't have access to that computer, the internet, or your phone? What about photos, music, files and folders full of documents, applications and apps that you've purchased, maybe the free apps, the settings for your computer, the settings for your applications? What about your Settings for devices, your Wi-Fi router, firewall, printers, scanners, music devices. Do you have a personal website? What about a work website? If the website provider stopped doing business or had a problem, could you move that website somewhere else? Do you have a backup? So what are the things that need to be backed up? Make a list. Next time, we will talk about how often to backup, how to backup, the pros and cons of using a file synchronization and sharing service such as Google Drive, Dropbox, Microsoft OneDrive. All those services do technically provide a kind of backup service, but they're not a full-fledged backup system, and we'll talk about that. But maybe it's good enough. Maybe having a copy of your stuff in a cloud system like Google Drive or OneDrive, etc., is all you can do. Okay, you've got some sort of backup. That's maybe better than not having it at all. If you're backing things up already and you feel good about it, then it's time to do a test restore. Go into your backups and restore something back to your computer. Or better yet, a different computer. Can you open it? Is it all still there? Then you win. Make sure everything you care about is backed up. Think about this too. In your backup solution, can you restore everything all at once, or is it a file at a time or a folder at a time? If you can restore everything all at once without having to click on everything, you're probably more down the road of having a good backup system. Anything that requires you to restore one file at a time is not a true backup. Again, better to have a copy that you can get back than not, but if you've got hundreds, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of pictures, do you really want to click on each one to get them back? What about if you're new to this and not sure what to do? Again, you got to start with what do you need to back up? If you don't know what you need to back up, you're going to miss something. But, you know, just do your best. The list you start with today may be changed next week, next month, or, you know, a couple years from now. It's something that we need to review. If you need to start because you don't have a backup at all, 
one of the easiest ways is to go to a store, buy a hard drive with backup software, and get started. Do you have a Costco or a warehouse store that you go to? Chances are they sell quite a few of these, and it's maybe $70, $80, $100 to get a multi-terabyte drive that will back up your computer. Use the software they give you, back up everything on your computer. Now you have a backup. What if you can't afford a backup solution? Well, again, you might start with one of those free file sync services like OneDrive, Dropbox, Google Drive. They have some privacy and security concerns. Is the information you're storing there as safe as you need it to be? Do you want copies of uh, letters from doctors about your medical conditions up on Google Drive? That's something only you can answer. But is having it backed up more important than the risk to your security and privacy? Again, something to think about. In the show notes, I will provide some links to some hard drives with backup services. I will include information on signing up for my mailing list, which I promise will not be a daily annoyance, hopefully a weekly or bi-weekly update on what's happening, what the next podcast information is going to be, links to the show notes, basically a, another way to keep in touch and make sure that you've got access to the information you want. I will not sell your information. I will not share your information, but know that I am using services that could be breached at some time because every service at some point may or will be breached. So we do our best. And again, I will not be selling your information. The services I use will not be selling your information. Finally, Personal Cybersecurity Foundations. The class is $56. It starts on October 8th. Get signed up. There will be a link in the show notes or just go to training.monozukuritech.com and get signed up. I'll see you there. Have a good week. Get your backups rolling. Be safe.